So welcome, you guys. If you're new especially to followers, so glad you're here. So glad you can be with us. And uh, let's just pray. We're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, for I don't know how many years I've traveled to Israel, seven times maybe. Uh, we've made the commitment, Tracy and I, to bring uh, a tour for our church uh, every four years because of the impact it has on lives. And so uh, I've kind of done this presentation, what you're going to see today and then next Sunday um, in different parts of the world. Uh, you know I'm a pastor to other pastors around the world. Our church supports like 600 pastors around the world. And so a lot of these pastors would never have the privilege of ever going to Israel. Well, I bring Israel to them. And you guys have asked for this, okay? You were the one I said, do you want me to do this? You said, yes. And so you're going to get like a, just a fire hydrant explosion of Israel and pictures and stories and everything for the next two Sundays. And believe me, I'm going to need every minute. I might go a little bit today into a little bit past normally. And if you have to leave, just quietly leave. But I may need to go about five minutes later. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be uh, a very encouraging Sunday to you. But I want to pray first. And let, let's just pray and commit this to the Lord. Father, thank you for just the privilege of Israel and that we could travel there and just walk in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, of the patriarchs, the apostles, biblical history. And Lord, as we just uh, spend some time right now um, talking about this land and the things that have happened in it, that uh, it'll bring the Bible to life, I pray that it would be a blessing and instructional and encouraging and a spiritual experience as well. And so, Lord, bless the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we welcome you. Here we got Israel Slideshow Tour. Part what? One. So in this part one, we're going to take you from Caesarea. Some of you are wondering, where's that? You'll find out to Bethany. That's what's going to happen. And the next Sunday, we're going to go from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. So in this kind of tour we're going to go on, uh, there's some guidelines I want to just give to you. This is a personal tour. What I mean by this is these are personal pictures I've taken. They're not professional. And I'm going to tell you very personal stories, sometimes very personal, you know, in my own life, uh, over the, you know, 30 years or so that I've traveled to Israel. Uh, it's partial, too. We can't cover everything that happens in a particular location. I'm just going to give you brief highlights. It's very practical. I'm going to give you some spiritual uh, lessons as we go along. It's very progressional in that this tour leads to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, everything happens. Our Savior dies. He is buried. He is resurrected. Uh, resurrected. He will return again one day. And everything builds to Jerusalem. This is biblical. We're going to focus on Old Testament as well as New Testament sites. It's very fast-paced. There's like 199 exact slides that are just in part one. And uh, it's very uh, inspirational. That's my prayer is that you'll be encouraged as well as inspired to go to Israel. That you'll make it, you know, part of your bucket list. You know, that I'm going to do this. And, you know, in the next four years is when we go next. And maybe that would be the time for you. We'd love to have you with us. Now, here's a great verse that I just love. It says, the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys. Moses wrote this, that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. I don't know anywhere else 
in the Bible where the Bible, God says that he cares for a land. He cares for Israel. It says, the eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. It is the holy land. God's eyes are on this land constantly. And when you're there, God's eyes are on you. It's, it's a very spiritual, powerful experience to walk in Israel. I love this quote. Five Gospels record the life of Jesus. You're like, no, there's four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But really, there are five. Four you will find in books, and one you will find in the land called Holy. In other words, the fifth Gospel is the land. When you go and you walk the land, you experience Jesus like you can't imagine. It's powerful. Now, here's a uh, modern-day map of Israel today. And the first thing I want you to understand before we get into pictures is that Israel is a small country. Can you repeat that after me? Small country. Very small. It's 263 miles long from at its high point uh, up in the Golan Heights all the way down to Elat, which is down there. It's uh, 71 miles wide at the widest point. That's like traveling in length from Castro Valley to Bakersfield. That's the length of Israel. Or from Castro Valley to Oakdale, that's the width of Israel. It's the size Israel is of the state of New Jersey. And you can fit 37 New Jerseys into California. That is how small Israel is. From Jerusalem just to Nazareth, that's 90 miles. It's, it's not a large country at all. Uh, there are some, this is a map of uh, New Testament Israel. I want you to notice some of the key regions. You've read about this in your Bible. Judea, which you'll notice is kind of parallel to the Dead Sea. Then there's Samaria, parallel to the Jordan River. Then you've got Galilee, of course, parallel to the Sea of Galilee. The main bodies of water of Israel, the Mediterranean Sea on the west coast, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, and then the Red Sea, which you can't see right here. We'll show it to you a little bit later. Some of the key cities, Jerusalem in the center of Israel, Bethlehem just south, Nazareth where Jesus grew up. We're going to be looking at these in detail, but just a, a few of the key cities. In terms of the geography of Israel, uh, right on the coastal, we call this the coastal plain area. It's rather flat area. And then you've got the Judea uh, hills, uh, the mountains up to 3,400 feet, right kind of in the center of the land. And then you've got the, uh, um, uh, the Jordan Rift Valley, which is right here. Another way to look at it is the topography. Again, on the coast, you've got the coastal plains. You've got the mountains. And then you've got the Rift Valley, the Jordan Rift Valley. Everything east of the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, and the Sea of Galilee, that is the country of Jordan. This is Israel. It's a small country. Okay. Now, just to show you again how small this map, uh, the 22 Arab nations that surround Israel, uh, Israel only uh, 12.5, 13 million people, Jews in the world, and 8.5 million that live in Israel. Small country. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take you on a tour. We're going to start here in Caesarea, and it's kind of like a, 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 a clockwise tour. And I'm going to visit all these locations over the next, uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And we're going to start in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is a port city. It's on the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Right out of this port, the Apostle Paul would have sailed 
uh, especially on his uh, trip to uh, Rome uh, in Acts chapter 27. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea, there's Luke and Shannon. A lot of things happened on the Mediterranean Sea, which we'll point out. Uh, here's an aqueduct that Herod the Great built. Herod built this, scholars believe, or archaeologists, between 25 and 13 B.C. You say, what's important about this? It brought water into this amazing city. Uh, Herod the Great built this aqueduct along with the city. Uh, he was the ruler of Palestine when Jesus was born, Herod the Great. He ruled uh, in uh, Palestine, 37 B.C. to 4 A.D., he was not called Herod the Great because he was a great man. He was a terrible man. He was a great builder. And he built like 15 incredible things throughout Israel. We don't have time to talk about all of them, but one of them is Caesarea. All the other Herods, by the way, mentioned in the New Testament are either sons or, grand, or, great grand, or grandsons of Herod the Great. This is the Hippodrome in Caesarea. It's basically where chariot races took place, sporting events. Uh, the Apostle Paul and uh, the Apostles would have seen events in that area. Uh, this is uh, Herod's swimming pool, the remains of it. In Acts 24, Herod was on trial and actually was brought and was under house arrest for two years in Herod's palace. This is the swimming pool, Acts my son Luke, swimming in it, literally behind uh, that palace. No question, the Apostle Paul would have swam in that pool. He was under house arrest. It wasn't you know, like he was in, in chains at that point. Um, another picture is Catherine and I, pool, Herod's pools in the background. This is uh, uh, the harbor, at least what's remaining, of Herod the Great, one of his great, again, building projects there in Caesarea. Here we are at the Roman theater. That's in Caesarea. In Acts 23, Paul was transferred to Caesarea. From uh, Jerusalem, he was arrested, and he was brought to Caesarea to stand trial and that sort of thing. Acts 26, Paul gives this very bold testimony before King Agrippa right in this area. And if you remember, King Agrippa said, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. You know, he kind of cuts Paul off mid-sentence. And you remember the apostle Paul says, no, I'm not out of my mind. He says, I want you to be just like me except for these chains. I mean, except for these chains, you know, in prison. It's a bold moment of his life. I'm just like, and you're there, we're considering this. You know, there's going to come a time in your life, you're going to be called upon to give a bold witness for Jesus. My encouragement for you is take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another picture of Caesarea from above. In Acts chapter 10, you remember Peter, he visited Cornelius. And God revealed to Peter in that moment that salvation was for the Gentiles as well. That happened right here. And the lesson for us, thank God that salvation uh, has come to you as well, a Gentile. Uh, another artist's rendition of Caesarea, in Acts 21, verse 8, Paul stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist in one of these homes. Again, an artist's rendition. Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa I, he gave a, a speech right here in this city, but he failed to give glory to God, and the Bible says he was eaten with worms and he died. I mean, like right on the spot. I'm going to take you now south of Caesarea to Joppa, okay? And you can kind of see that. Some of you have heard of Joppa before. It's bringing something to mind. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 3, he found a ship. It, he would have found a ship in that port, uh, and he should have headed for Nineveh, which is 600 miles east, actually, in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. But he decided, no, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go to Tarshish, which is due west, 2,500 miles now, 
in modern-day Spain. Even some of you may be tempted right now to run from God. It never pays to, be, to run from the Lord. You know, follow God's will. It will be a blessing to your life. Another picture of Joppa, 2 Chronicles 2.16. Hiram, king of Tyre, he floated cedar logs for Solomon into this port that were actually taken to Jerusalem inland to build the first temple. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, Peter raised Tabitha from the dead in this area as well. I'm going to take you north uh, on the, through the plain of Sharon, which you can see right here, up to Carmel, to Mount Carmel. And on our, our drive, we noted that there are uh, these, this is the Rose of Sharon. And in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, Solomon describes the Shulamite as the Rose of Sharon. That's a picture of the rose. Here's Mount Carmel. Uh, all of us have heard of Elijah and the prophets. And uh, this is where uh, Elijah confronted 450 prophets of Baal. And they set up, didn't they, two altars. And it's the God who answers by fire. He is the God. And of course, God answered by fire and licked up all the water and the sacrifice. And everyone said, he is the, the, the God. And, and God answers our prayers. I mean, it's a bold moment. Uh, for Elijah, going up against 450 prophets. Some of you are facing great challenges right now. With God, you are a majority. And you'll remember that uh, Elijah marched those 450 prophets down to the Kishon Valley, which is right there. This is the Kishon Valley. And he slaughtered those 450 prophets of Baal. Another picture of Mount Carmel with James. First uh, Kings 18.45, after three and a half years of a drought, uh, Elijah, on this very spot, this mountain, he prayed, and the, the heavens poured down rain. And uh, even the book of James, chapter 5, verse 17, talks about that. Uh, the Bible, James said, uh, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed, and God poured down rain. And just, there's power in prayer. And we're just like Elijah. We're no different. But when we trust God, we can pray great prayers because we have a great God who answers those prayers. Here's a picture of Leslie and myself. Behind us is the Kishon Valley, but what is really behind us? What is it? That's Armageddon. That's also the, the, the west side of Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, Jezreel Valley, Armageddon. It's 14 miles wide, 20 miles long. More battles have been fought on this piece of land than any other location in the history of the world. And um, 2 Kings 9.27, Jehu kills Ahaziah, king of Judah, with a bow in that area. 2 Kings 23.29, Pharaoh Necho, he kills King Josiah. I mean, the carnage in this area is just ongoing. Jezebel is eaten by dogs in this area, 2 Kings 9.30, Revelation 16, Revelation 19. If I had time, which I preached on this there, I don't have time right now, this is where all the kings will gather uh, for war in rebellion, in a final rebellion against God. This is at the end of the Great Tribulation. Uh, there will be a massive slaughter by Jesus Christ. Uh, blood will flow, the, the, the height of a horse's bridle in this area. It, the carnage will be unbelievable. This is where all history ends in this valley, and actually the kingdom of God physically begins. There will be, right now, the kingdom of God is physical, it's spiritual. One day it will be physical. You will see it. Jesus Christ will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and it is going to happen right there, which starts, well, really the millennium. Um, we're going to take you to Nazareth now. Let's go from uh, Mount Carmel to the city of Nazareth, which is the hometown of Jesus. That's a picture of the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. 
This is also the hometown of Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, Jesus, uh, his birth is foretold by the angel Gabriel came to this area. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, Joseph would leave with Mary to register for taxes in Bethlehem. You remember that. Uh, she is with child and they, take a, they have to register. Uh, but we're still in Nazareth here. This is the church on the inside of the Annunciation. Here's a picture of the well. That's the first century well that Jesus, what a, no question, Jesus would have been around that well. He'd have drawn water from it. Nazareth back then in the first century was thought to be only 300 people. The little small town that Jesus grew up in, this is a well back then. Jesus would have been around that well. Mary was around it. Uh, this is a village of Nazareth. That's a picture of my parents. This is kind of a village. Uh, Christians have created, have recreated a village of what it would have looked like when Jesus grew up. In this uh, town, Jesus grew up to learn obedience. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. And just the, the point there is growth requires balance. It should be intellectual, physical, spiritual, social. Are you grown in balance? And that's what we see in the first 30 years of Jesus' life, a balance in their growth. Are you balanced right now? Are you, how's your spiritual life? How's your physical life? How's your relational life? How's your work life? Is there something out of balance? It's a great place. And we talk a lot about balance at Nazareth. Uh, this is a typical village, just an artist rendition, again, of what it would have looked like back then. Joseph and Mary, they make a trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back, and they, but, but they come back, and who did they forget? Jesus. They left him. Can you imagine you lose God as a parent, you know? <laughs> Be encouraged. If you're struggling, don't worry. They, they left Jesus behind, okay? I mean, man. Uh, this is Sephoris, which is near Nazareth. The reason we go here is because this is the capital city of Galilee, near Nazareth, the probable location where Jesus would have worked as a carpenter. And back then, you have very little wood. It's, a carpenter is a, a mason, a stone worker. And that's what Jesus did for 30 years. Uh, he'd work with wood too, but you have rocks everywhere. Stone is what's most common. And so these are literally first century homes that Joseph and Jesus may have worked on, constructed. And for 30 years of his life, he worked as a carpenter. Remember Matthew 13, isn't this the carpenter's son? And a lesson here is all work is holy if it's done unto the Lord. For 30 years, Jesus served as a carpenter. Your work is as important as mine. Sometimes you look to me, Mark, you're a pastor, it's so important. What you're doing is God's will for your life. It's God's call in your life. It's just as spiritual as what I do. This is a, um, <clears throat> a wine press, actually. The only first century wine press discovered in Nazareth uh, where you would trample grapes to make wine. Without question, Jesus would have stood there. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Uh, if, if you're a little boy growing up in Nazareth, and that's the only wine press, it's a very celebrative, fun thing. As a kid, wouldn't you want to get your feet, you know, in, yeah. I would think, you know, we don't have any guarantee, but it just seems if Jesus was a little boy, he'd want to have fun in there. I don't know, it's, it's pretty incredible to think about. Um, this is a uh, vineyard. Remember the parable of the tenants? Remember? The tenant, the, the master rented out the, you know, the vineyard to some workers in a tower. And you can read that whole story, that parable. It's powerful. Uh, this is a synagogue, Nazareth. People were amazed at Jesus' teaching as he begins to expose who he really is. And he begins his public ministry by quoting Isaiah. That's Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Basically, he's claiming he is the Messiah. 
And in Matthew 13, verses 53 to 58, he teaches that a prophet is without honor in his hometown. He could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Uh, Jesus, this is Mount Precipice. He was taken to the, the, the brow of this hill to be thrown down. And Jesus walked right through the crowd. And the Bible says at this point in Matthew 4 that Jesus leaves Nazareth to begin his public ministry in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And what I always find powerful is that here is Nazareth, there's Luke, my son, and behind Nazareth is what? That's Armageddon. Here's Jesus as a little boy growing up, and his backyard is Armageddon. Can you imagine as a little boy looking at night, sometimes going out there being God in human flesh, knowing this is where all history is going to end in your backyard? I think that's just profound, incredible. Um, We're going to take you from Nazareth now to Capernaum, Nazareth here and Capernaum, which is north on the Sea of Galilee, right here on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So this is the upper Jordan River as it enters into the Sea of Galilee, just north of Capernaum. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And Capernaum is way over here, but right along this whole area is where Josephus says there were 204 prosperous Galilean towns or villages in Jesus' day all along here. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and following, it says, Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, okay, which is over there. We'll see it in a second. Which was by the lake, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and that, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned on them. The light at 30 years of age enters in to Galilee, all around this area. When you think of the miracles that Jesus did, his teaching and his preaching, it happened primarily here. A little bit in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is his passion. That's where he dies. But where he has his ministry is here in Galilee. Okay? Now, here is Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. This right here is a, a church. It's actually a, um, it's a protection over Peter's house where Jesus' ministry headquarters were. And Jesus uh, would live here uh, for three years. He would minister out of Peter's home. Uh, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And, and people who were demon-possessed were brought to this home. And he did, Jesus did many miracles. Uh, it was from here, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that Jesus would get up early in the morning. He'd go out and have his quiet time somewhere around in these areas. He'd find a solitary place. He healed a paralytic. Remember the four friends that brought this paralytic and lowered that guy? On a mat, uh, it was somewhere right in this area. Whether it was Peter's house or not, we don't know, but it was a house here near Capernaum. This is a picture of Peter's home uh, down below. It's, again, covered so that, you know, it would be protected from the elements and from rain, which we experience big time. You'll see in a second. Um, this is a synagogue there. Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand uh, in this synagogue. And uh, he also taught in this synagogue and drove out demons. Uh, This is a millstone. Remember, Jesus said, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble would be better for him for a millstone to be hung around his neck, thrown into the depth of the Sea of Galilee, he was referring to. Uh, This is a a very interesting moment. We came to Capernaum as a team, and uh, we would have special times to just sing. And a miracle happens here. It is pouring down rain. And the, the team, uh, Lisa, leads us in a song. If I can get this going, I want you to see something here. Who, who I am, 
I want you to see that girl right here. See her? I'm going to tell you a story about her because she just showed up when Lisa started singing. Um, that's Catherine, and she was the gal that just showed up seriously out of nowhere, and afterwards, I kind of started talking to her, our group kind of just began loving on her, she's just 21 years old, and she had been, I asked her, I go, what are you doing here? I mean, there's like no one around, this is in the middle of Israel, and she's like, I am searching for God, and I, I said, your parents know you're here, and she goes, yes, but they don't have my, I don't have their approval, but I'm here. And I was like, well, you come to the right place. <laughs> so I, I said to her, I said, do you know what God did for you just a few miles from here in Jerusalem? How he was born in Bethlehem and, and did miracles here, and he went to the cross and died for you and rose again, and this is the place of miracles. And Catherine, do you want a miracle to happen in your life right now? Do you want to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord? Tears in her eyes, she said, yes. It's raining, we're under an umbrella she gives her heart to Jesus Christ. Let's go. We brought her back to the bus and literally gave her the mic, and she testified of God's grace in her life. And I've been in email contact with her. Be praying for her. Uh, just uh, it's, it's special what God's doing. So the place of miracles is the Sea of Galilee. And here's the Sea of This is where Jesus, we just did a big series on following Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This is where Jesus called uh, Peter and and James, and John, and Andrew to follow him. Uh, this is uh, called Matthew to follow him. And Jesus is calling you to follow him. Miracles await your life if you'll follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus would teach on a regular basis, Mark 3 says, from a small boat because of the crowds that would just come around him. Uh, here's Len and myself, Sea of Galilee. Jesus taught the parable of the sower from a small boat, Mark chapter 4. Tom and Nancy, Jesus calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus and Peter walk on the water. And just, we, you know, we went out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and we're just considering great reading these scriptures and the truth I gave there is when we trust Jesus, we can do things with Christ that we could never imagine if you just listen to his voice. Peter said, Lord, is that you? Can I come out? And as soon as Jesus says, yes, come out. Follow him and let a miracle happen through your life. Uh, remember Jesus? He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And Peter did that and he pulled in 153 fish. And remember that was after Jesus was resurrected and he restored Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. And on one of those shores, Jesus restored people. Re re Jesus restored Peter to the ministry. This is literally a first century fishing boat that was discovered, it was a miracle, but it's in a museum, but literally that is what one of the boats, the size and everything looked like. <laughs> Tracy gave that caption, this is St. Mark with St. Peter's fish. Uh, I don't know which is the fish and which is Mark, you'll have to decide on that. Uh, but this is us, our team just eating St. Peter fish there uh, at one of the restaurants. This is Bethesda on the Sea of Galilee. There's many, many, again, 204 cities we can't take you to all of them around the Sea of Galilee. But this is the hometown of Peter and Philip and Andrew. Jesus did miracles here. He heals a blind man in stages at this place, Mark chapter 8. Uh, 
I just want you to see this one more glass glimpse of the Sea of Galilee. Actually, not the last, but, but this is where Jesus, you know, turned the disciples from fishers of fish into fishers of men on the Sea of Galilee. When you think of Jesus pouring into the disciples, you need to think of the Sea of Galilee because this is where it happened. This is another picture of the Sea of Galilee from Tiberias where we stayed. Uh, John 6, 23, people from Tiberias searched for Jesus after Jesus fed the 5,000, and Jesus revealed himself to them as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Uh, here's the Sea of Galilee from Mount Arbel. One of my favorite places to go is this mount. I love this mount. It's 1,245 feet tall, and it's just a, a beautiful picture of the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee, by, by the way, is 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. It's 700 feet below uh, sea level. This is a picture of our team from Mount Arbel, the 2014 team. Any of you guys here? We couldn't get a picture of the 2018 team because it started pouring rain. It was crazy. And, uh, but this is a picture of Luke and I. Uh, uh, the reason I love this place is because I love to preach on this when we get up there. This is the possible location for the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus, it says, the disciples went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I can't imagine a more epic mountain to give the Great Commission than Mount Arbel. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This is right below Mount Arbel is the city of Magnola. This is the hometown of Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus casts out seven demons from her. She followed Jesus, cared for his needs. Uh, she was present at his crucifixion. Matthew 28, she went to the tomb early on Sunday and found the tomb empty. Jesus, the Bible says, first appeared to Mary. And we're in her hometown, and especially right now, behind Teresa and I, is the synagogue. Uh, this is the only first century synagogue that has actually been discovered in, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And it's significant because Matthew 9.35 says Jesus went to all the synagogues in Galilee preaching the good news. No question, Jesus would have been right where I am squatted right now. No question about it. The synagogue of Mary Magdalene, Jesus would have taught in probably several times in that very spot. Another picture of the synagogue. Powerful. This is uh, the Mount of Beatitudes. You're looking at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus would have preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jose and Lily considering the Beatitudes as we taught on them. Uh, picture of the crowds on the Mount of Beatitudes. What a great location to address so many people, multitudes. Picture of James on the Mount of Beatitudes looking down where Jesus would have fed the 5,000. Uh, a picture of Chorazin. Uh, these, this city along with Bethsaida and Capernaum were cities that Jesus actually cursed because these cities refused to believe his miracles. They refused to trust him as Savior and Lord and Messiah. And he cursed those cities. And those cities never been rebuilt. Uh, sea of Galilee, the, the Gerasenes on the other side. So whenever you read in the New Testament, they went to the other side. That's always talking about going to the east side of the Sea of Galilee where the Gentiles lived. And here we have the Gerasenes. Remember, Jesus casts out demons out of the pigs, right? The swine. And they all rush down over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. He heals that demoniac. And actually that demoniac says, Lord, can I follow you? And Jesus said, no, I want you to go home and tell your family the great things of God. People ask me all the time, they say, Mark, how do I become a missionary like you? I said, it starts with your family. 
you go home and you tell your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister how they can be, you, you win them to Christ. If you can do that, then you're ready for the mission field. Don't go to the ends of the earth until you start with your family, where you're praying and you're fasting for those and your family who don't know Christ. You get a heart for those closest to you, then you go to the ends of the earth. It starts here, and this is what Jesus did. This guy wanted to follow him on a mission. Jesus said, hey, you go home. Your family first. It's priority. Picture of Chino and myself, Gadarenes behind. Uh, we're going to go now from the Sea of Galilee to Caesarea Philippi. So we're going to go north, uh, literally on the border of Syria, Lebanon, up there. And we see Mount Hermon, which is the highest point in Israel, 9,300 feet high. There's typically always snow on Mount Hermon. And another picture, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. Mustard tree, you know the parable of the mustard seed. We know that. Uh, here's a picture of Caesarea Philippi. This is the town uh, named by King Philip to honor Caesar and Rome. It's a place of emperor worship and idolatry. Uh, it's also the place, Matthew 16, of Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. And uh, here's Caesarea Philippi, this pagan city it was back then in the first century of Jesus' time. And, and worshipers would literally go to the top of that, and they would throw their children off that cliff into the spring of water below as a sacrifice to the god Pan. And it's here that Jesus uh, would bring his disciples to this place purposefully and he would ask them this question. What did he say? He said, who do people say I am? Then he said, who do you guys say I am? Am I just one of these pagan gods? I mean, it's a profound place to ask the most important question any human being could ever entertain is this. Who do you say Jesus is? The most important question in your life is who do you say Jesus is? Your entire eternal destiny is determined on how you answer that question. And Jesus brought his disciples here, and it was here that he revealed his identity to his disciples. Remember Peter's confession, thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus said, based on that profession, I will build my church. And he talked about the mission of his church. It's also here in Matthew uh, 16, uh, verse 21 and following at Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus predicts his death. He starts talking about his mission to die so the church could be born. And he also starts to talk about the cost of discipleship. And our whole series on discipleship, all the teachings about picking up your cross and following Christ and dying, it, 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 that teaching came right around here in Caesarea Philippi. It's also here in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus was probably transfigured before the disciples. Matthew 17 talks about that. We're going to move now to Dan, which is an ancient Canaanite city of great biblical significance. The headwaters of the Jordan River, uh, this is where you first to start see the Jordan River at Dan. Uh, there's a couple of uh, girlies at Dan in this nature reserve. Uh, there's the, the contrast is powerful because it's a cultic site here as well. This is Dan, a Canaanite city, uh, 2000 BC. You're looking at 4,000-year-old steps right there. And here we have a high place. In the Old Testament, you often hear about high places where they pagan worship. And actually, even sometimes uh, biblical worship, it was acceptable unless it was a place of pagan worship. But here in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 20, King Jeroboam, which is Sol Solomon's son, he became the first king of the divided kingdom, 
We call it Israel. And this happened in 931 BC. And this guy, it, it just, he, he turned Israel into a pagan just nation. I mean, it was terrible. He made a golden calf for Israel to worship at Dan and Bethel, the north and the southern you know, uh, areas for the northern kingdom. And you're looking at the place where that golden calf would have been. He's leading Israel into idolatry. And in 1 Kings 14, 16, God gave up Israel because of Jeroboam's sin of idolatry. Ultimately, 200 years later, Israel was taken into captivity in the year 722 B.C. But that is where that idol was literally set up. Not going to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple, but setting up, erecting an idol there. And this is our team. We're thinking about the sin of idolatry. Because idolatry is not something just then, it is something today. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. Anything. That can be sex. It can be your car. It can be your home. It can be materialism. It can be whateverism you want to put in there. And we're thinking about this. And we're reading Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And we're looking at 1 John 5.21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And we're looking at Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart for everything flows from it. And so, you know, every one of the places we go, I mean, I taught 90 times there you know, in our, on, on our journey. Here's Dan, uh, ancient Canaanite gates, uh, 4,000 years old that Abraham may have entered, probably did, 2000 BC. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is where kings would sit. Remember you read that in the Bible, the kings would sit in the gates? That's where they would sit. Uh, even Proverbs 31:23. her husband is respected in the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. The city gate was like Starbucks back then, okay? That's where you want to hang out, the social place. Um, this is a picture of Baal and Ashtoreth, uh, idols. So you've got uh, the Baal, you've got the, the male, and then the female uh, gods that Israel would worship. Now, they're different sizes. This is a small, I, you know, um, rendition of Baal and Ashtoreth. Sometimes they're, they're much taller, much bigger, depending so we're going to take you now from, uh, we're going to go south to the spring of Harad. Anyone know what that is? That is where, what does that give you another clue? That's Gideon. Judges 7, verse 1, Gideon defeats the Midianites with 300 men who lap like dogs. The lesson here we talked about is God uses unorthodox ways to accomplish his purposes. If God's given you a vision, and it seems a little strange, and people reject it, but God continues to, hey, trust that vision. God does great things in unorthodox, unusual, he uses unsuspecting people in unusual ways to accomplish his things for his glory. And that's the lesson you get from there. Uh, this is hyssop, mentioned all throughout the Bible. Remember, they took hyssop and they put blood on the doorposts, remember? It's all throughout the Bible. It's used at Jesus' crucifixion when they... They took a hyssop branch to bring up a sponge for Jesus to drink from. Uh, locust is also there. That's the food of John the Baptist, right away. And some of you ate that for breakfast this morning, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to go a little bit south here now from the spring of Herod uh, to a city called Bethshan. By the way, are you hanging in here with me? Are you all right? I have no idea. I'm like, is this boring, putting you to sleep? I mean, I hope it's all right, you guys. Um, so we're going to go to a Beth Shan, which is a very important biblical city. I'll take you to right now. Uh, 1 Samuel 28, Saul and the Israelites camped near 
uh, Mount Gilboa, which is close to this area with the Philistines. So this is Saul, first king of Israel time. And another picture of Bethshan in 1 Samuel 28. Saul leaves this area. Remember, he goes to consult a witch at Endor, right? It's right in that area. Uh, Saul is killed along with his son Jonathan, David's best, best friend on Mount Gilboa. And then 1 Samuel 31, the Philistines, okay, Israel's you know, enemy, they, they found David, or Jonathan and Saul the next morning. They cut off their heads and they brought their bodies and they fastened Saul and Jonathan's body to the wall of Bet Shan. The wall of Bet Shan, that's Bet Shan, the tell of Bet Shan. And you can just imagine a wall around there. It's covered right now with dirt because it's thousands of years old. It hasn't been excavated yet. But their bodies would have been literally fastened to that wall. And then 1 Samuel 31 says, Valiant men from Jabesh Gilead journeyed to take Saul and Jonathan's bodies down from that wall and brought their bodies back to uh, uh, Jabesh. Hmm. A lot of lessons there, but I don't have time to kind of go into that. Here's now a little bit near Bethshan, the quaint town of Shunem that you see below. Now, why am I showing this to you? Because we studied for I don't know how many weeks the book, The Song of Solomon, and the Song of Solomon was written because of these vineyards. And this is the small town of Shunem. Those are the vineyards. And here we are near Shunem, uh, the place that Solomon met the love of his life, the Shulamite. And there's my Shulamite. <laughs> and we took a walk. We had everyone take a walk. And, and the point here is to remember and celebrate the story of how God put you together as a married couple and grow in your marriage together. We're going to take you now south of Mount Gilboa and Bethshan and Shunem to this is Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of the ten tribes. For 200 years, this was the capital city. So many biblical highlights took place here. Uh, stories. 2 Kings 5 verse 3, Naaman comes in to be, he comes from Aram up north, inter, literally into Samaria to be cured of his leprosy. Remember that? Uh, 2 Kings 2.5, Elisha lived and he died in Samaria, right here. In 2 Kings 6.19, Elisha leads a blind Syrian army into the capital of Samaria. And the king says, what should we do, kill him? And Elijah goes, no, 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 kill him. Let's, let's throw a party, let's have a barbecue, and they all become friends. Crazy. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and following, the disciples wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village. It could have been this Samaritan village. Luke 17, Jesus healed 10 lepers. Could have been here. This is very significant because it's undisputed. This is, uh, again, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria. But remember King Ahab and Jezebel, his wife? They reigned in the northern kingdom for 22 years. This is their undisputed palace. This is where they lived with their 70 sons. Remember 1 Kings 21, Ahab and Jezebel killed Naboth to get his vineyard. Remember that story? Right out of here, they would have come. You know, all the jealousy and all that. Crazy. Um, I'm taking a Mount Ebal in Gerizim. This is just north of the city of Shechem. And this is Mount uh, Gerizim. That is Mount Ebal. And in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 to 35, Joshua led Israel to Mount Ebal and Gerizim. Remember for the blessings and the cursings, Right? Deuteronomy 27, verse 13, cursings were shouted by the Levites. The Levites would stand in the center. Now, these homes weren't here, right? The Levites would stand right there. Those are those spiritual leaders. And then cursings were shouted by the Levites to Mount Ebal, right up here. 
And they would yell, Cursed is anyone who makes an idol. Dennis honors his father and mother. And then six of the tribes of Israel were up there, and they would yell, Amen, to that. And then you'd have the uh, Levites shouting the blessings to this mountain. And so the Levites would share, If you obey the Lord your God, you will be blessed. And then six of the tribes on Mount Gerizim would say, Amen. That happened right there. Joshua 24, verse 1, Joshua assembled the tribes of Israel here, and he made them choose. He'd say, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Remember when he said, but for me and my house, what? That happened right here, right here. This is a picture of Shechem, the city, very important city. I don't have time to go into everything here. But in Genesis 12, verse 6, God reiterates the covenant promise to Abraham that there would be a land and a people given to Abraham. And he, Abraham builds an altar to worship Yahweh here in 2000 B.C., uh, this right here is a 4,000-year-old gate that Abraham would have, no question, Abraham would have walked through that gate. It's the city of Shechem. This right here is uh, sacred standing stone. Joshua literally built a sacred standing stone. Joshua 24, verse 24. On that day, Joshua made a covenant with the people, and there at Shechem, he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord closer picture of it. Many archaeologists most believe that this sacred standing stone right here, the symbol of the covenant, and at one point it was much taller, but this one is dated 4,000 years old. They believe that is the sacred stone. Crazy. All right here, just south, right here in the area of Shechem is Jacob's well. Uh, Jacob dug this well, Genesis, Genesis 33, verse 18. And of course, it's most known for John 4, Jesus talks to a woman at the well in Samaria, in Sychar. This is the well. It's the only well. And again, the lesson here, Jesus is our source of satisfaction. Keep drinking the water that he gives. Go to the well, to Jesus. Nowhere else are you going to find satisfaction. Some of us have been drifting. We're walking here, there, whatever. It's Christ and him alone that satisfies there's again a picture. We drank water from that well, didn't we? All of us. You can still drink water. You know, bringing it on up there, it was great, man. It was awesome. Um, taking now a little bit south from Shechem to Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is the place, Joshua 8, 18, verse 1, where, where Joshua sets up the, 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 the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. is literally here, the Ark of the Covenant. And so right here, it's a little hard to see, but just beyond that truck, you see the truck? Right here, there's the platform, the undisputed platform for where the tabernacle would have stood for, watch this, 369 years. It's not undisputed that this is the location of the tabernacle. First Samuel 1.24, Hannah dedicated Samuel at that tabernacle. This is 1100 B.C. Samuel, as a little boy, was brought to that tabernacle, right? Given to the Lord. And we talked about just how God hears our prayers for our children. So pray great prayers of faith for your kids. The last chapter isn't written on your kids. You commit them and keep praying. And look what God did through that little boy. He became the first prophet of Israel. And it's also the place where Samuel was a little boy. Remember, he grew up there under Eli, was learning the ways of God. He first heard the Lord speak. And the lesson here is say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let us keep saying that to God. Uh, <clears throat> amazing. This is a picture of the tabernacle, a model of what it would have looked like there. Obviously not there anymore. It was destroyed by, uh, by the, uh, uh, the Philistines back then. 
But um, this is Tracy and I standing literally when you map it all out where the Ark of the Covenant once was. Incredible. And this is the experience you get when you're there. You think and we teach on these areas. You're standing right where these things happen. Wild. Now we're going to go from Shiloh to the Jordan Valley. So we're going to move from Shiloh. Now you're going to see your first view of the Jordan Valley. Remember, uh, God took Abraham way up in the, the Judean mountains, and he looked down into the valley, and this is what he would have seen for the first time. There's the Jordan Valley north of the Dead Sea, very lush as it is today, it was then. Now, the Jordan River feeds this whole area. Jordan River is 124 miles long from its source of the Dead Sea, uh, or to, to the Dead Sea. And there's so many biblical highlights that happen literally on the Jordan River. 2 Kings 5, Naaman washed in the Jordan and was healed of his leprosy. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, Joshua and Israel crossed to enter the promised land, the Jordan. Uh, David, 2 Samuel 17, crossed fleeing from Absalom for his life. 2 Kings 6, verse 6, you know, it's kind of a funny story. There's a guy using an axe head. You'd rent it back then, you know, and it, he's axing away, and the axe head fell into the Jordan River, and he's freaking out. He's like, my Lord, my Lord, he said to, you know, Elisha, and Elisha just made the axe head float on the Jordan. The guy picked it up. A miracle, you know? Um, here's the Jordan River. Uh, John the Baptist preaching here. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is the area of the Jordan. And testifying, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, Jesus was baptized here as well. And the Father spoke, and the dove landed. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the privilege I had to baptize my son James years ago. And then here we are in the Jordan River after a rainstorm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, here we are. This is Luke. I had the privilege of baptizing him. And here's Chinoa and her mother being baptized. I'm not sure if Chinoa's right there. And we baptized, I don't know how many we baptized, 25 of us there. And oh, there's Rosalind. Are you here, Rosalind? Where are you at, girl? Oh, she's right there. She survived. She's praising the Lord right there. Was that exciting, Rosalind? Amen. God, I love it. This is, again, another picture of the Jordan Valley, north of the Dead Sea. All of Israel, and we don't have time to go into the whole story, but they crossed a million people strong, you know, in, to go into the, to Jericho to take that first area. And they would have walked across that desert area, a million Israelites. You're looking at that picture. Now, from the Jordan Valley, we're going to take you here, north of the Dead Sea. I'm going to take you on a truck right now, all the way to a lot. So we're going to go a long drive all the way here right now. This is a picture of the Dead Sea, or the Salt Sea, it's called. It's the lowest place on Earth, 1,407 feet below sea level. It's the world's saltiest body of water. It's 31 miles long, 9 miles wide, 997 feet deep, and it's shaped like a giant hot dog. <laughs> um, a lot of things happened on the Dead Sea. David killed 18,000 Edomites. Uh, 2 Chronicles 25.11, Amaziah killed 10,000 by throwing them off a cliff near the Dead Sea. Um, there's the mountains of Moab across on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, which is Jordan. Deuteronomy 32, Moses died on that mountain, 1406 B.C. He also commissioned Joshua to take the people into the Promised Land. He was prevented from going into the Promised Land. Also, Moses reiterated the law, the Ten Commandments, in that area before Israel came into the Promised Land. Uh, this is a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah, way off in the distance, Genesis 18 and 19. Uh, this is a picture of the Judean desert that I just took 
and I was just meditating. We're on our drive to a lot and thinking about Joseph and Mary with baby Jesus would flee from Bethlehem all the way through this desert to Egypt. And you just think about mom and a dad with a little infant coming across here. And here we are. It's taken us hours to drive. And Joseph and Mary on a donkey are literally traveling to Egypt. It would have taken them weeks to have gotten there. That's the territory that your Savior went for you. Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, out there is Kadesh Barnea. It's beyond what you can see. Or the desert of Zin. This is the chief uh, site for the Israelites wandering for 40 years. This is the place where Moses struck the walk, the rock out there. And he's prevented, remember, three times and, uh, or twice. And, and God said, based on you not treating me as holy, you will not enter the promised land that happened out there. This is the Judean desert at sunset. Again, I'm thinking, wow, Lord, Mary and Joseph, they would have hunkered down at night in that kind of territory. Incredible. We're entering into a lot right now. Uh, a lot is the southernmost part. It's the Red Sea. You've heard of the Red Sea, also known as Azen Geber. In Numbers 33, verse 35, it says, Moses and the Israelites camped on their way to the promised land at Ezion Geber, where our hotel was. A million Israelites would have camped here following that cloud by day, um, that pillar of fire by night on their trek to the promised land. Uh, picture of the Red Sea, the crossroads, literally Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Sinai and Egypt are right there within sight. We're going to take you now from uh, Elat up here to Petra. Now we're going to go on Jor in Jordan. By the way, the land of Midian. Remember Moses, he fled from Egypt for 40 years, met his wife, Sephora. That's the land of Midian right here. But we're going to go to Petra right now. This is the way of the kings. This literal road right here is the way that everyone traveled back then. And this is the route the Israelites would have taken into the promised land. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 18, Moses and the Israelites tried to enter into Edom, but the king of Edom denied them and came with force and pushed them back. And the Bible says that they had to retreat. Numbers chapter 21, the people grumbled and God sent snakes. And Moses sent up a, broad, a bronze snake on a pole. And remember, Jesus would later refer to that in John chapter 3. Jesus said, if Moses be lifted up, if it, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Well, that point where Israel back then were bitten by snakes, had to look to that pole. It's a picture of what's to come, you know, thousands of years later with Christ. That took place right to the east of that spot right there. Uh, there's the way of the kings. You got camels still there. We're in Jordan. There's Bedouins that are living there. This is would have been Abraham. This is how Abraham would have lived. Think of him as a Bedouin. He was. Uh, here's James and Austin uh, on literally looking down on the mountains of Moab. Uh, Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel three times, but Balaam blessed them instead. This is the area Moses would have taken, been taken to and viewed Israel for the first time, but he was not permitted to enter the promised land. This is Mount Hor. Aaron uh, was literally brought up there is where he died on top of that mountain. Here we are at Petra. Okay, uh, Petra's cool. Uh, it's one of the seven man-made man wonders of the world, ancient Nabataean uh, capital of Arabia. This is 300 B.C. is when it was just kind of, there's these old tombs and temples and treasuries and arenas and carved out, all carved out of sandstone. And it's, it's awesome to just behold. And we walk through it. It was lost to the Western world until 1812 when discovered by a Swiss explorer named Burkhardt. 
And here we are just, uh, and by the way, the greatest basketball team in history. Sorry about that, Cleveland fans. I forgot to take this picture. I'm halfway back up, and I am go, Dan, hold this. i got to run back, and I, got, I needed a picture of the Warriors. So anyway, <laughs> Patra Jordan, uh, this is a picture of our... Now, why is there biblical significance here in Petra? Yes, it's a place of preparation for the Apostle Paul. The Bible says for three years, Paul went into Arabia, and he received direct revelation from God about the gospel. Many, 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 many scholars believe this is where Paul went, Galatians chapter 1. It's also a place of protection uh, for the Jews during the Great Tribulation. Three and a half years into the Tribulation, I mean, Satan is going to attempt to wipe the Jews off the planet. And God's going to protect them. The Bible says, Revelation 12, and third, Revelation 12 especially talks about this. God is going to protect them. And many scholars believe God is going to bring the Jews to Petra. And uh, you read Revelation 12, and um, in this area of Petra, it's described as Satan is going to spew out water and try to actually, through a flood, wipe the Israel, Israelites out. But God's going to divert that water around the Israelites and save them. And this is a perfect, you know, geographical place for this to happen. And what was crazy is we're talking to our guide, and he goes, I'm so glad you weren't here a week before. I said, why? He goes, because you wouldn't be able to visit Petra. A week before, there were floods that came in, and this is what it looked like. And this is literally where our, our, our team was standing. This is a natural flood. Imagine if Satan unleashed his whore on the Israelis. I thought, is that incredible or what? Read about it in Revelation chapter 12. That was one week before we got there. Incredible. Well, that's Petra from above. That's why you can't see it. I mean, it's like, you know, it was lost to the world. We're going to take you now uh, from Elat. We're going to take you up to Masada. I know I told you I was going to go a little bit longer. Are you guys all right? I'm sorry. Sorry, not much longer. Uh, here's Masada. This is a natural fortre fortress like no other, located in the Dead Sea wilderness, 1,300 feet high on the east of uh, the Dead Sea. Why is it important? Well, David, all throughout the Psalms, says things like, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. You are my hiding place. David very much so could have had this rock, Masada, in mind when he wrote this. Uh, this is us taking a gondola ride up to the top of Masada. There's Masada. This is Herod the Great, one of his great building projects again. He had 15. This is one of them. And he turned this rock into this fortified palace with swimming pools and bathhouses and storerooms and gardens and a water system. It's amazing. That's an artist's rendition of the Northern Palace. Here's a picture of the remains of the Northern Palace. This is the location of Israel's last stand against the Romans. Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD, and the Romans finally penetrated Masada, 73 AD, using that siege ramp. That's a siege ramp that was built by the Romans to literally penetrate Masada. And when they did so, they discovered 960 Jews here, zealots, inhabitants who committed mass suicide so as not to be captured. Another picture of Masada and that siege ramp from below. Take you uh, now from Masada. Oh, by, this is a picture from Masada of the Dead Sea, by the way. The Dead Sea is shrinking three feet per year. And the reason I show you this picture is because skeptics always used to say, how is God going to protect Israel in the desert, in the, the Arabah, and get them to Petra when the Dead Sea 
is filling the area. You can't do it. And yet you see right now, God is creating a way in the Dead Sea. Easily now the Israelites can walk through the Dead Sea, that area. Again, another sign this planet is right on schedule according to prophecy. This is a picture of Ein Gedi. David lived in the strongholds of Ein Gedi. And David spares Saul's life from a cave in Ein Gedi, right here. And this is a picture of our team. Uh, that's me praising the Lord in Ein Gedi. Loving that. Uh, this is the Dead Sea. This is just the mud bath that we, this is tradition. Every trip I take, this is us, Vance. We're getting all mudded out right now. You got to get crazy mudded out with Dead Sea mud. And uh, James and I, this is the 2014 mud pilgrims. Take a look at the 2018 team. Right, this is the highlight. You just go crazy. And, uh, oh, yeah, this is Roser. I, we're going to play this video right now. Look at Looking like this, like this. Uh, full of dirt. It's all mud, Dead Sea mud. And why are we doing this? Because we love you guys. We love you so much, from my families. Have a good day. <laughs> yeah, having fun. You float in the Dead Sea. You don't swim. You don't sink. No one ever drowns there. It's the salt content is so high, it's crazy. We're almost done, you guys. From the Dead Sea, we're going to go north toward Jericho. We're going to pass Qumran and then go to Jericho. Qumran, this is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the greatest archaeological discovery ever, the entire Isaiah Scroll, every fragment from all the Bible, Old Testament was found here except for Esther. That's literally uh, the canister in which the Isaiah jar that held the Isaiah Scroll was found. Uh, there's a picture of Jericho. Remember, the walls come tumbling down right there. That's a picture of uh, the foundation of that wall. Another picture. So many things happen in Jericho. I'm going to have to skip over some stuff here, guys. This is a picture of Elisha's spring. This is crazy. Uh, Elisha healed the bad water of Jericho in 2 Kings 2.21 by throwing salt into this spring, and the water has remained wholesome to this day. Actually, Elisha's spring provides 1,000 gallons per minute and has literally turned Jericho into an oasis. There is modern-day Jericho, all from the miracle of what Elisha did. There's a sycamore fig tree. Remember that story? Luke 19, Jesus dines with Zacchaeus, who's up in a fig tree. Jesus heals a blind man, Bartimaeus. This is the Judean wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days, tempted by the devil. This is a picture of Mount Temptation, the highest place where probably Jesus was taken by Satan. Ah, from Jericho, which is 846 feet below sea level, we're going to go to Jerusalem right now, which is 2,474 feet above sea level. That's why you always say you go up to Jerusalem. This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where thieves would remain. Picture of uh, the road to Jerusalem, that's the Jericho Inn uh, remaining in. Amazing. Remember, the Samaritan was taken to an inn. This is the road near Bethany, heading toward Jerusalem, Luke chapter 10, the home of Mary and Martha. Jesus would often spend the night here. He raised Lazarus from the dead here. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, Jerusalem is just over that hill. Are you ready to see it? Got to come back next Sunday. Let's pray. Well, Lord, uh, <laughs> this has been rushed. 
But Lord, I pray that somehow you've taken whatever you've wanted to take and just make it a blessing to my family. I just love these people. Lord, thank you that we could spend a little time just sharing some scriptures, showing these pictures. And I so wanted to give you the opportunity to just respond at your tables as to what you know, God most encouraged you with. But I, I, I just can't leave you without you giving. Would you just thank the Lord for one thing that he's shown you today, just in your heart? Respond to the Lord because you hearing me and responding to me, that's not why you come. It's you and God. So what did God say to you? Just worship him, thank him, whatever. Then it will make this whole morning worthwhile.